All right, Willow Creek Church, so glad you're here. Welcome those of you watching on the link and online, and uh, we're diving into the series, and this is all about money. And uh, I know some of you, the minute we say we're talking about money, it can raise up your anxieties, make you feel uncomfortable. Just lower that down, no worries. This is all about, the Bible describes uh, many times that money plays an important part in one of the central aspects of the faith. It's about your heart. You go through the Bible, you go, what does God most want in the world? His greatest desires for human beings, people like you and me, to fully devote their hearts to him. And what's one of the greatest competitions for that heart attention? It's money. And so that's why there's so much attention given to this, okay? And the aspect of this I wanna talk about today is around generosity. One of the core aspects of the Christian faith is generosity. And we'll dive into that and look at it, but just wanna tell you a little bit about my life. And growing up for me, my family taught a lot to me about money. They did a really good job. Uh, my family growing up, uh, we did chores around the house, we did jobs, and then every week if we did our jobs, we got an allowance of $1, $1. I feel really old when I tell people I got paid $1, but that's how old I am. My parents, though, didn't give me like a paper dollar, they paid me in dimes, 10 dimes. And we went to church, and my parents said, hey, real quick, the Bible describes a tithe, so the first dime, 10%, that goes to the church. And I would go to church. And in our church, we passed a plate very similar to this that went back and forth the aisle. And I clearly remember one of my earliest childhood memories was the joy, actually, of the chance just to put a dime in the plate and be able to see that I made a contribution. That as a kid, I was part of the church. I wasn't just watching the church. I was a part of it. And it felt great. And every week I got those 10 dimes. My parents would say, all right, bring one. We're going to take one to church. Then they taught me. They said, you you always put two In savings, you put two in the piggy bank, one to the church, two to the piggy bank. And they just taught me, you need to learn to save, Steve. In your life, you're going to have moments where things come up and you better be prepared for them. So just make it a discipline, 10% to God, 20% to the piggy bank, Uh, one dime here, two dimes there. And then they said, this is the fun part. The last seven dimes you get to have fun with. That's what you get to have fun and buy whatever you want. And so typically in my life, those seven dimes went to... Baseball cards and Star Wars toys. That's what my childhood was like. Raise your hand if you're a childhood like mine of the 80s, baseball cards and Star Wars toys. Anybody else? No? Okay, good. One guy in the front row, yes, you. All right, good. This is what I spent my money on by and large. And this is what I learned that started early childhood. Like this is preschool days. Again, one here, two here, seven for me. 10% to God, 20% saving, seven for me. This is uh, what I did through childhood. My teenage years, I finally got a job. Parents said it's not dimes anymore, it changes. Uh, Got into college, continued this through college, even to adulthood. And uh, I became a pastor at 21 as a college student. And even into my 20s, this is just the pattern I followed. 10% here, 20% there, 7% here. And once I hit adulthood, it was 10% goes to my uh, retirement fund, 10% to the emergency savings fund, right? Those are the 20% how it got divvied up. And I just followed this discipline, just disciplined. Then I heard a pastor talk about giving the tithe and he described it not as discipline. He described it as worship. He actually said the phrase that just as we worship God, as we sing, we continue that into the offering. That didn't resonate with me at all. I didn't tell it to me, but I thought this has never felt like worship to me. It's just discipline. It's mechanical. It's transactional. 10 here, 20 here, 70 here. And I thought, if that's true, if it's true 
that this is to be worshiped, I need a heart change myself. And so often in my life, when I discover there's something missing, some aspect of my life or my faith, the process you go to is, first, I try to engage my mind. I want to learn about it. And so I do my deep dive into learning. And I just know that my heart always follows my head. What I learn about eventually translates to my heart. And so I just said, I've got to understand scripture on this and, and really move from a mechanical discipline into a part of my faith. And so I started just with the tithe. I said, I better understand this better. Lots written in the Old Testament about the tithe. The one verse that had the biggest impact on me was this. It's from Leviticus. It's one of the first books of the Bible. It just says, every tithe of the land, whether the seed of the land or the fruit of the trees, is the Lord's. Now, again, he's speaking to an agricultural society. So he's saying, whatever you earn, the first tithe is the Lord's, 10%. Notice the words there, and this is what hit me. It didn't say the first tithe is given to God. It says the first tithe already belongs to him. And I realized this moment, I said, oh my gosh, that first dime that I dropped in the plate for years, I always thought I was giving to him. The Bible says you're not giving to him because it's already his. You're merely returning to him what was already his. That's why I changed my language. I go, when we're receiving the tithe here, I just go, God, we return this to you. It's already yours. You've already declared it's yours. And the idea in this that really transformed my heart was I realized everything I have, all the paychecks I had received, that was all a gift. That was a provision from God. And the first 10%, he just says, remind yourself, remind your heart, this all came from me because that, that first 10%, that's mine. And so for me, the aspect of worship that changed, first time I got this, was that every time I got a paycheck, I went, God provided again. And I would just give, uh, again, return that tithe and go, God, thank you. You're the great provider. I then found the verse, there's another verse that says, even your ability to work is a gift from God. So all those years I thought, well, I love working. I really do enjoy it. But even that ability is a gift. And uh, this transformed, again, how I saw the returning of tithes to him uh, at church. And then I I kept going just in this study, and I found another verse in the Old Testament. And it it describes uh, a much broader perspective of this that was really quite uh, heart transforming. It says this, says, everything under heaven belongs to me. This is God. God's having a conversation. God says this, everything under heaven belongs to me. Other verses, he says it real clear. Everything on earth belongs to the Lord, right? Crystal clear. And here is the heart transformation. If everything belongs to him, then all 10 dimes were his, not just the first one. My house is his. My car is his. My time is his. In fact, I thought everything I was tempted to say, it's mine, is a lie. It all belongs to God. It all belongs to him. Even, I thought, my time. I'm a pastor. I'm confessing. Much, much of what you're going to hear is confession from me, just so you know. I used to go, oh, nine to five is devoted to God, right? My work hours. But when I got in the car to leave, it was like, now it's my time. I get to my house and I go, I devote my time at church to the church, but this is my house. Do you hear this? And this all of a sudden is like, oh, wait a second. Time on earth is a gift from God, and he says it belongs to him. And so I go, it's not my time anymore either. It's his time. And so in this, there was this transformation where I realized I'm not the owner now of anything. I'm the steward. 
God has allowed me to have things for a time, but they're not mine, they're his. And so it transformed me from saying, God, what do you want to do with 10%, the tithe, to what do you want to do, God, out of everything I have, all that I am? It's all yours. It will all not go with me in the time, right? When I die, I don't get to take any of this with. It's all his. So God, what do you want to do? And this transformed how I viewed really every aspect of my life. Of thinking, all right, God, now I'm trying to surrender to you everything. Use me and use what you've granted to me for your purposes in the world. You see this in one of the verses I found as I did this study. This is written by David. And David, if you don't know, is one of the people in the Bible, one of the people in human history that God said, that's the heart I want. David did so many bad things. He was not perfect. If you want to study dysfunctional families, David is a great example. But one thing he got right was he devoted his heart to God. There was a point in his life towards the end where he loved God so much he wanted to build a temple for God, but God said, no, there's too much blood on your hands. You don't get to. And David begged for the chance, well, at least can I raise the funds for the temple? And God gave him that privilege. So David did the great fundraiser, right? The whole nation's gonna be involved. He's inviting everyone, and he led the way with generous gifts. And then when all the offerings were brought forward, he was amazed and prayed a prayer that really shaped me on this. And this is what it says. He says in the middle of this prayer, but who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything we have came from your hands and we're only giving to you what you've given to us. Isn't that beautiful? David's looking at this, he's like, this is all yours anyway, God. Not only was this a gift to us, but now you're giving us the gift that we feel great about giving back to you. His heart was transformed. He realized he's just a steward. It was already God's. It's one more passage that really transformed my heart on this whole generosity move. And this one's in the New Testament. See, there's a moment in the New Testament. If you think about it, after Jesus died and was resurrected, the first church started in Jerusalem. And then as the church grew and spread, they started churches in all these different cities all throughout the Middle East and the Mediterranean. But there was a point pretty early on where the church in Jerusalem faced immense financial hardship, just immense hardship. And so the church leaders decided every other church should give an offering to help out the pain of this one first church. And Paul, who was from Israel, had gone out and planted all these churches. Paul was given the task, all these Greek churches, can you lead the fundraiser for them? But Paul knew something. There was one group of churches that was in immense financial struggle already, the Macedonian churches. And in Paul's writings, you can see he was willing to ask a whole lot of other churches that were wealthy, but he, he was struggling to bring himself to ask an impoverished church to give to another impoverished church. In fact, you almost get the sense, he's like, we should be taking a second offering for them. And then Paul writes to the Corinthian church, one of the wealthier churches. He tells them the story of what happened in that Macedonian church. He says, now I want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Because in the midst of their very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify, they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the what? They pleaded with us for what? The privilege. For the privilege 
of sharing in the service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. They gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us. Isn't that beautiful? See, a lot of times when I think of generosity, you might too, a lot of times when I think about generosity, I think, oh, that's something the wealthy get to do. That is not the way the Bible looks at generosity. Bible is crystal clear. We all have different financial means. Some have lots, some have little. And when God is talking about the heart of generosity, it isn't how much you have that establishes your generosity. It's how much you're willing to give out of what God's provided for you. So you notice this church, in the New Testament, this may be the greatest symbol of a church's generosity, and this church had very little. So your generosity isn't based on how much you have, right? Every one of us is invited to have some form of generosity. And what amazed all the other churches, because Paul's right into all of them, he's like, you've got to see this story. All of us are invited into a generous life. We'll all be able to give different amounts, but everyone can be part of this. Now, there's a couple of things I learned in this. A couple of things really stood out to me. Notice this. It starts right at the beginning, entirely on their own. Paul's saying, I didn't give a big guilty plea. We didn't, you know, we didn't put any pressure on them. This was entirely on their own. This is one of the themes throughout scripture. When it comes to generosity, you have a choice. The very first fundraiser in the Bible for a, a place of worship is Moses. Moses builds what they called the tabernacle in the Old Testament. And he said this to the people of Israel. He said, hey, here's the deal. We want to build this, but this is entirely on your own. So go to your home, you and your family. You, in the privacy of your home, decide if you want to be part of this or not. And then decide if you do, what do you want to give? And then whatever you give is what we'll build with. But the sense is, you're on your own. No guilt, no shame, no pressure on your own. Isn't that beautiful? Same thing's true with this. See, again, the, the path of generosity, this adventure of generosity begins with, just, are you willing? Do you even want this? And God gives you the respect. You can say no or you can say yes. But notice this. He says, entirely on their own, what'd they do? They pleaded with them. Pleaded with them. They're basically saying, don't leave us out. We know we're in a tough time. Don't ignore us. Don't go over us. Involve us. Please let us have the privilege of being part of this. This struck a, I mean, this just hurt. Because I had to confess when I read this. I don't think there's ever been a point in my life where I pleaded to be part of a fundraiser. Am I the only one? I get invited to a lot of fundraising opportunities and I try many times confession, I'll do the minimum gift that they will leave me alone. And I went, I don't know if I've ever pleaded, please let me be part of this. Please invite me to this. Please, I wanna give. I said, boy, God, this is again a sign. So much of my heart says, it's mine. It's mine. Don't ask for mine. That's mine. It really, it was a moment of repentance to go, all right, God, again, you got to do your work in my heart because I still have a mindset that it's mine. And what would it look like to plead with God? God, please give me the privilege to be part of your work in the world. Please. Notice something else. This is towards the end of the passage I read to you. There's a process that I noticed that Paul describes this church went through that I thought this is probably needs to be the path for me. And it says this, that first they gave themselves to the Lord. Notice, it doesn't say first they gave their money to the Lord. They gave themselves to the Lord. And then by God's will, they gave themselves to the others as well. 
And the idea here is they weren't just saying, God, you can have our money, but they gave of themselves first. Basically, I took this to say, they had said to God, whatever you ask, whatever you want, wide open, God, whatever you want, we'll do it. And I thought, boy, the, the order really matters, doesn't it? First to God, commit yourself to him. And then second, okay, God, now what do you want us to do? So this then flows into one final verse at the end of this passage. I haven't read it yet. And this now, Paul changes the direction. He's told the churches about what the Macedonian church, now he turns it to them and he says this. Now you, church in Corinth, you, you guys excel in everything, he says. You excel in faith and in speech and in knowledge and in complete earnestness and in the love that God has kindled in you. You excel in all this. But you also need to excel in the grace of giving. He says, you've done such a good job. So many aspects of the church, but there's one you've missed. It's the grace of giving. And I thought, boy, I've never thought of giving this way. Like if I think about the church, I go, yes, I should get better at how I read my Bible, how I worship God through singing, how I serve, how I preach and teach. All these things, I know I should get better, but I'd never thought, oh, I can get better at giving. I can grow in that. And this is really the transformation point, uh, reading those uh, in my life. And then I would say for our family. So my wife and I really started a process where we both were talking about this thinking. We were reading other books, reading the Bible, but also other books too. And we got to a place where we both said, we want to get better at this. And we want an adventure kind of like this Macedonian church. More than the tithe, but something else. And so the, the process we walked through, if I was going to tell you about it, is basically a prayer process that over time I call it surrender, listen, and obey. But I just go, the first prayer was just surrendering. Going, Everything we have is yours. It all came from your hands. Everything. So God, what do you want to do with us? We surrender it to you. It's all yours anyway. God, what do you want to do? That's the surrender part. And then it was listen. God, we're surrendered to you. Now, God, if there's anything you want us to do, would you just tell us? Just kind of give us that impression of what we should do. God, we're going to listen to you. And then we commit ourselves. God, whatever you ask, we will do it. Whatever you ask, we will do it. And we just started this prayer process of that. And we just check in every few minutes. Did you hear anything? No, nope, no, nope, me either. We'd pray it again. Did you hear anything? No, nope, no. Nope. And this went on for months until there was a day where I got a phone call from the prison ministry at our church. And they called to say that the ministry was going great, but they had a need and they needed a television. They said, actually, they show our services to them online. And so in the prison, they watch our church services, but they'd outgrown one room and they needed a second room and they'd use it for Bible studies. But they said what they could use is the TV. And my initial thought was, oh, we'll use some of the church funds. We'll buy you a TV, nice flat panel. And he interrupted me. He said, no, no. He goes, we can't do the flat panels. We tried that. We put them on a TV cart and they just fall right over. He said, we need one of those old TVs, you know, the big TVs, the heavy TVs. And he starts to describe the TV in my living room. (laughs) So I thought, this is the first one. We called a family meeting, brought the kids in. They were literally, we said, hey, you guys, there's an opportunity. We've been praying this prayer, and we think God wants us to give our TV so prisoners can watch our church service. And the Bible says, what do you guys think? And they all said, great. We had two TVs. And they're like, you know what? God has given us more than we need. We'll watch on the other one. Let's give it to them. The only thing I was concerned about was throwing out my back, carrying that heavy TV. That's all the worries. We were really excited. And so we gave that. And then it really energized us to go, prisoners are watching church services on our TV. Just the extra TV. They're hearing about the gospel. They're hearing about grace. This, this moved us so much. 
really encourage us to start to pray that prayer even more boldly. All right, God, that was one. What else? What else do you want to do? What else can we join you in? What other prayers can we be part of help answering? And a few weeks passed. And one of the things we wanted to do as a family, uh, we wanted to serve together. And uh, there's a great ministry that our church partners with that helps welcome refugee families into Chicago. You may know this. UN refugees who are in refugee camps all around the world, when they have the chance to move out of that camp into a home and they get accepted into America, one of the main cities they come to is Chicago. And these ministries, if you think about it, if you've spent, many of them on average have been there for 18 years. If you've spent time in a UN refugee camp and all of a sudden come to Chicago, that is a cultural shock. And so these ministries set up an apartment for them, welcome them in, help them to get a bank account, help them really to adjust to a new life. It's awesome. And our family had a chance. We said, could we be part of just welcoming them in and setting up one apartment? We thought that'd be so fun. So they told us, here's how it works. You will get a call on a day. We get the call when they're on the plane. So you'll have basically between 12 and 18 hours to show up at the apartment, help set up all the furniture, get that all set up, and and then you can welcome them in. Sometimes share a meal, sometimes pray for them. And and I thought this would be great for our family. And I, I said, is there anything else they need? Anything else that we could provide just from ourselves? And one goes, well, there is one thing they could use. It's a television. And, and she then began to describe a little flat panel with the DVD player in the side. And I thought, just like the other TV we have, it's identical to the one. So I called a family meeting. This one didn't go as well as the first one. And, uh, and uh, you know, the kids were literally like, well, then we won't have a TV. And, and in the end, we all said, this would be, let's do this. And so we got a call on the Friday. They're on their way. Family's coming. We went down as a family. We set up the Ikea furniture, set up the apartment, got the kitchen ready, got their bedrooms ready. My son was awesome. He and I helped set up the TV. And then uh, the family arrived. And we had in our minds, you know, mom and a dad with kids. And, and it was a, probably a 21-year-old sister, a 16- or 17-year-old brother, and a 12-year-old brother. No parents. No parents. And uh, we didn't know anything about them. And they were exhausted. They'd, they'd been on a plane for 14 or 15 hours. And my son was little, and he was showing them how to use the TV remote and how the DVD player worked. And, and then we just said, we need to give them space. They're exhausted. And so we prayed for them and left. And we went out and sat in the car right outside their apartment, said a prayer for them again. And, and then we just talked, what would you learn? And how did that feel to serve? And what are you thinking? And, and uh, we were all in agreement, like, so glad we could give something to them. You know, what must they have gone through? And it shaped our family. And we're so grateful God would allow us to play a part in this. That this family who'd experienced so much hardship, could we just do something little for them? And, uh, and this kind of really was the start of this adventure of surrendering and really experiencing God's promptings and asking us to be generous. And the next one's a little different. The next one, my wife came home one day and she goes, I think I got a prompting. And then she described what would be the single largest single financial gift we'd given in our lives. She told me the amount she felt prompted to give. And my response, I confess to you, was, oh. And she said, so are we only going to listen to your promptings? Yeah, we're still married, so you know how that ended up. So, uh, yeah. And she was right, and we felt great about it. One of the other things you need to know in this, one of the things we saw was that uh, God's a God of the resupply, is the phrase I keep using on it. He resupplied us. The, the funny thing is we gave 
those TVs and I'm just a few weeks passed and a woman called and said, hey, we're changing our house and we just had an extra TV. Would you want a TV? And I was like, man, like, all right, God, well. And it was identical to the TV we'd given away. So like, okay, whatever. And uh, God does that, right? It's all his. What he's looking for is someone who's willing to be used. He can resupply, he can take and give, it's his. It's all his. He's already declared that in the Bible. And so, you know, we had this great adventure. He had all these different things for us. But then there was a day that the story takes a little turn. I'll confess this to you. It's a Sunday morning like this one. I stand down front after the talk and, and people line up for prayer. I just say, if you want prayer, come on up. And a guy came up and the minute I saw him, I sensed God say, give him a hundred bucks. Well, I don't carry that kind of money. I don't have any money with me. And so I thought, well, I'll get it for him, you know. And it was a busy week, and I forgot about it. And the next Sunday, we, same thing. Anybody needs prayer? And he comes down again, and it was like, ah, oh, I don't have the 100 bucks. And, uh, and I've never seen him again. And uh, a few weeks passed, and I have, you know, I lead a staff. And I had asked a staff member, I, said, I met with him, I said, hey, I've got an important job I need you to do. Will you take this on? He said, yes. I said, great. I need it done this week. He said, great. A week passed. And I brought him into my office. I said, hey, real quick, quick update. How'd that go? And he goes, oh, I, I got busy. I forgot about it. I said, okay, one more week, but I need you to do it. He goes, great, I'll do it. Another week passed, and he didn't do it. And, and I got upset. I didn't show up, but I felt anger. I was like, I'm your boss, and I asked you to do this, and you didn't, and then it hit me. And Steve, God asked you to do something. He gave you a couple weeks, and you didn't do it either. What must God think? And, uh, and I remember he left my office, and I closed the door. I was like, God, I'm so sorry. I told you I'd do whatever you asked. I didn't do it. I should have gone right away, taking care of that. I didn't. And my excuse was that I'm busy. God, I hope you can forgive me. And I hope you can still use me. And truthfully, all the adventure stopped. I kept praying, God, please forgive me. God, please give me another shot. God, please use me. Radio silence, nothing. Weeks into months, maybe a year or more. And I got to the spot where I thought, maybe I just screwed it up. Maybe that's it. There's nothing more, right? And, uh, but I kept praying. God, I'm still surrendered. God, I'm just begging for another shot, please. I'm still so sorry. Please, God, just use me. And, and then there's a Saturday morning where a group of guys who were meeting for Bible study had asked, would I just swing by and just say a few words to them? And uh, I said, sure. He showed up, just said a few words, and I ran into a guy there, and immediately I got the sense, get him $100. And so I ran out the door, and I ran, I got 100 bucks. So I said, I gotta be faithful immediately, right? And then I thought, how do I give it to him? And it was crystal clear, he shouldn't know it was from me. And I thought, well, how in a big room full of people am I going to give it to him without him knowing? So I put it in a little envelope, and I'm staring, looking for an opportunity. And he put his Bible down on a table and walked away. And I thought, this is my shot. 
I ran over and I slid it in his Bible and I closed it. And then literally I ran out the door and didn't say anything to anybody. And, uh, and then it hit me, you know, not every Christian reads their Bible every day. And, and what if he puts it on the shelf and it sits there for a few months? So, so God, should I, should I tell him? Should, should I say, I don't know if you've read Genesis lately, but there's a lot in Genesis, a lot of value in Genesis. And the, the sense I got was, I got this. You did what you're supposed to do. That's all I have to do. A few weeks passed, and I ran to him, and he goes, Pastor, I have to tell you this story. He goes, I met a family that doesn't have anything. He goes, you know we don't have much, but they don't have anything. And God told me, I'm supposed to give them $100. And I said, God, we don't have $100. What am I supposed to do? He said, I got this sense. Just go to the Bible, and you'll find the answer you need. He says, Pastor, you wouldn't believe it. I open up the Bible. You know what was in there? An envelope. And how much was in the envelope? A hundred dollars. Pastor, can you believe it? And I said, you don't say. And he had so much joy that God had provided the means that he could give to somebody else. See, here's the thing. What I've found in this is so many people are praying and they're desperate. They need something from God. And so often the way God will answer that prayer is by turning to one of his followers who's opened up their hands and said, God, use me, who's willing to be used and just said, will you be the one who'll be part of answering that prayer? And then you get the joy to be a part of God's activity in the world. See, you'll hear me say this a lot. I believe God is real, and I believe he is good, and I believe he is involved in your life way more than most of us notice. He's constantly at work in our world, and he's inviting you and me. If we're willing, we get to be participants in that. We get to be a player in his incredible story. You could have a role, but it starts with you and me and our hearts going, God, would you use us? Everything's surrendered to you. God, I'm listening to you. Just prompt me. One ear to heaven all the time, God, whatever it is, and then the willingness to do what it takes. Are you willing? Are you willing to say a prayer like that? God, use me. Are you willing to open up your hands, God? Everything I have is yours. Are you willing to do whatever he asks? Are you willing? If you are, what I'll tell you is this. He can take a faith that feels mechanical and turn it into an adventure. He can take a heart that's gotten hardened and he can soften it and use it out of love. He can transform your faith and you can see him at work in your life and the lives of others. And I'll just tell you this straight up. It's the best adventure of your life, but it all starts with, are you willing? Are you willing? I hope you are. I hope you just open up your hand and say, God, I want this. Put me in the game. However I can play, I'll do it. You do this. You do this, and I'm trusting and believing that God will lead you on an adventure and give you stories that you're going to tell your whole life.